y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, it's Scott Lips, and welcome back to yet another episode of Spin Magazine's Lip Service. Happy New Year, folks. Hope you had a great one. By the time you hear this, I think it'll be around January 16th or so. I'm not even sure if it's appropriate to still wish people a happy new year. I think Larry David said anytime after the 7th of January, you can't wish people a happy new year. But I am. I hope you had a great one. I hope you had a great holiday. Coming up on the show, my guest today is the lead singer of one of my favorite new bands, L.A.-based pop alternative rock band, The Regrets. And she is Lydia Knight. Some have called her the new face of feminist punk. I just call her a great singer, songwriter, and her band The Regrets have made a fantastic new record, Further Joy. Their third record, it's not that new, actually came out in April. The new edition with three new songs came out in November. We're going to talk about their 29-date tour with Youngblood coming up, her friend group, which counts among them, Billie Eilish and Olivia Rodrigo. I think you're going to really enjoy this. Lydia's a great songwriter. The record, as I mentioned, is fantastic with songs like Anxieties, Barely on My Mind, Monday, and many more. It's so good. She is a force to be reckoned with. I'm excited to have her join us. Coming up in just a moment, Lydia Knight of The Regrets. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots' tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. More importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Welcoming Lydia Knight from The Regrets. How are you? Hello. I'm so good, Scott. Thanks so for having me. So happy to have you here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. I know we had a little snafu, but we, we made it here, which Wait, I'm happy with. <laughs> what did you just say? A snafu? A snafu. A snafu. Like, we made it here. We were, <laughs> I've you know, never heard of snafu. Yes, it's a very popular word. We actually... I we love that. <laughs> a snafu. That's <laughs> so fun. Oh, my God. We thought it was a like resume, a but we made it. We're, we're happy it all worked out. I'm so happy to see you. We had a, we had a great hang, actually, right before the break. Yes, so um, good. And we're going to do some work together. So I'm excited yeah. and excited to get into your whole history. The fantastic new record. I told you, Thank actually, you. sent you a text last night. I've lived with the record now since we met. Yeah. And the record is unbelievable. Thank you so much, Scott. Of course. Thank there's so you. many great songs. There's so much to get into. But first and foremost, the show is like your history. Yeah. This is your life. So let's take it back to the beginning. You grew up all around music, right? Yes, I did. It's, it's funny because I grew up surrounded by so much music but not by parents who actually played anything but 
kind of every other way that they could be involved in music except music business they were um so i was born into a venue pretty much my dad owned a venue called the shim sham club in new orleans and my mom and dad kind of ran it and so i was just always around like sound checks and stages as a little a little one um like a rock venue more or less yeah yeah so they had so many in, insane bands that had played there like the white stripes and the i mean the i'm pretty sure that the pussycat dolls used to also burlesque dance there which is oh, so cool. crazy um because they used to just be like a dance group yeah um and so i was always around that and i was obsessed with the ramones and joan jett and everything when i was a toddler and then um moved to santa monica with my dad and he took me to adonis show and that's when i was five and that's what really like seeing that many women on stage i was like oh wait i can curse right yeah oh Go. fuck that's <laughs> what i want to do i was like this is the coolest shit ever um and yeah ironically your first performance like i started playing drums at eight but you started performing at like two pretty did, much like, a sound check or something yeah yeah that's when i did my my little ramon sound checks um at his venue but the first time i actually performed i think i was like in a in my band i started a band called lila when i think i was six or seven and we had a show and um yeah we played three songs that were originals in three minutes because all of them were about a minute long and um yeah ever since then i just have been in bands like there hasn't been a time in my life that i haven't been playing music with other people when you grow up performing the remotes at two you know you yeah. have good musical taste right yeah <laughs> thank <So>. you parents <laughs> seriously yeah. and even so like i, I mentioned to you like i started playing at an early age but you were in bands at like 12 playing south by southwest yeah. which is unheard of really. yeah i yeah it's so weird in retrospect now because i've always just been so used to being the young person in like a setting and in a venue and whatever and now being my age being 22 i'm like oh my god like that's that is kind of crazy like i'm not i'm not the little baby anymore like other people i'm playing with are i'm still the baby in my band yeah but um in terms of you know going to a festival and whatever like i'm hanging out with people who are 18 19 and i'm like whoa but then i meet like someone like belinda linda's or something and i'm like what the f like that's how people viewed me like like right. obviously different situation but like similarly in that way of like holy shit that that's really cool <laughs> yeah so your mom was into music too like yeah. your dad yeah my mom just always was my mom actually made some music she's like a big metal head and so she when she was in around college age i think would make music a little bit but never really pursued it but um like metalhead what was she into was she into like motley Crue? oh yeah so molly Crue, she grew up like going to their shows when she was like eight and nine years old and like all the sort of all yeah fucking all of that shit yeah. metallica guns and roses all the hair metal and then also like um i mean i can't even I normally tell her to turn it off in the car. So I love all that stuff. But she's into like some some metal metal that I just haven't really reached my understanding of yet. But I hope there, to but one day. Well, understand. I, I love that. I'll, I'll take all that yeah. all day long. But your parents yeah. are actually incredibly supportive because your totally. dad went on to like tour manager band yes. and direct music videos for you. Yeah. So what's that like working with your family in that respect? It's interesting because growing up, my dad. My dad was the primary parent that I had growing up um, just because he 
was who I lived with the majority of the time. And so I'm extremely close with him. And he always was like, you're not allowed to professionally do music until you're, I think at least 16, he said. But then that just clearly wasn't, I think that he, we learned from each other that there was a way for me to work technically and still be a kid and still have a healthy relationship with him and with my friends and whatnot. And I think that, so we kind of, that rule went out really quickly, but um, he was never living vicariously through me, which was, I think, the big reason why we maintained such a great relationship. And he also wasn't ever taking money from me. So it was not, we weren't paying him to tour manage. He was just doing that out of the pure kindness of his heart because that is the worst fucking job. It is. Oh my God. It's just so, I could never do it. So he just wanted to work. Like, so he had, he has his own jobs and he would do that from the road and just wanted to make sure I was okay and protect me. And, um, we were so lucky that we had him to do that. Like that's, I feel like a very unheard of thing. He just did it to be a good parent. Yeah. Um, He's like, huge. you can't work until you're 16, but South by South with yeah, Carl, exactly. And you're 12, so go you're do 12, the gig. So what are you gonna do? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and then he went on to direct some of your music videos. Mm-hmm. So, but growing up with your dad, I guess your dad also had great taste in music. So yeah. besides Adonis, who you actually grew up, you know, and you were yeah. inspired by Erlon, who else was it that really was it? The Ramones or the loved Pistols? Loved the Cramps. Loved the Ramones. Um, loved the Clash, the Cure. Um, I mean, so many classics. And it's also really crazy because he, so he always had a radio station, like an online radio that would always be the only thing that he had on in the house at all times. So all this music was always playing and I would know these songs and now like getting older and actually learning like, oh wait, that band, I know this song because then I'm like, where do I know it? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like the with the replacements or with like XTC and like all these bands that I love now. But I only knew like one or two songs from it was because of growing up. So he likes to say he brainwashed me, which I guess in ways he he did. (laughs) I was happy to know that uh, you were a big fan of Live Through This because that's songs that I've actually gotten to perform quite a lot. So and you have the tattoo. Oh, yeah. This is my game changing album for me. That's due to my mom fully. My mom is a huge whole person, which is so cool. You got you get to do that. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible and and such iconic songs. But (sighs) are there songs that you grew up like learning how to play on guitar or you tried to emulate singing when you were growing up? Yeah, well, my my incredible music teacher is this woman named Lonnie, who really taught me to. We would learn songs together. A lot of it was like "Love Story" by Taylor Swift or whatever I was into <laughs> right. at the time. Um, but her big thing, and I, I give so much credit to the reason that I can write music now is was she really taught me how to learn guitar through songwriting and learn how to sing just through songwriting and sort of she never gave me like proper vocal lessons um it was just me kind of feeling it out and feeling I mean the amount of phases I went through in different ways that I would sing and finding my voice it's that's so cringy to think about being like a little 10 year old trying to figure it out but um she really let me figure my shit out and learn how to play yeah through mainly writing Mm. so you formed this band at like 12 pretty little demons yeah and how do you get picked to play South by Southwest? I'm pretty sure that I asked. I think that my dad submitted us because one of my friends, Grace, 
who was like my best friend at the time she had played or she was playing she was a little older than me and she was playing or she had played before and um and I think maybe her parents told my dad or she told my dad how they submitted and then we just submitted and did it and it was so cool and crazy like because we didn't just go in and do one of the showcases we did like the full thing that you do when you're a band and you go and you play like three or four fucking showcases in a day and it's a little bit of hell but also magic and that is something that i will never ever forget it was so crazy (laughs) and growing up all around this i mean you must have an interesting view on the music industry because you started playing even though your dad didn't really want you playing until you're 16 you really were it's incredible yeah. that you were doing like these branded stages at South by Southwest yeah. at 12, right? Yeah. So how do you, how are you looking at it? Now we're years later. This is your third band, The Regrets. Yeah. But how do you go? Let's talk about how you met everyone in The Regrets. And yeah. there was even a, a short stand. It's a story you've told so many times, but you're in the, like the choir of Ryan Gosling's band. Yeah. Yeah. Too. Yes. Um, so I met The Regrets. Well, I'll say I met one of the members at School of Rock, which is where I also had met Marley, who was uh, the other half of pretty little demons um so shout out school rock but janessa and i met there with our other original members max and sage and the three of them were in a band and my in little school in the school it, technically yeah so they already like were in a band and um well we had all met we all knew each other and then we all stopped going or i stopped going and then a couple years later my two-piece band pretty little Pretty Little Demons played a show with their band. And then once that split up pretty recently after, I was like, oh, they're really good. Like, I wonder if they'd ever want to, like, join forces, which we did. And um, and then over time, Max went on to pursue his other band, Lily, which I think you guys, yeah. I think that they've they're been here. The they they're on the awesome. Show. Yeah. They're some of our close friends. Like, mm-hmm. love them very much. Um, good guys. So great. And that was just, like, his baby. And, like, that's what he was you know had an emotional involvement and so that was i still think they're great um and then sage went on to kind of go do her own thing and um and along the way you met ryan gosling well this was all before ryan gosling was when i was really young so that was before i think that's when i was still in my two-piece and that was such a weird such an la funny thing to be like a friend of a friend. It was like my dad's assistant's kids were in this choir that sang backups like his band, Dead Man's Bones, amazing band, had a kids choir. And I guess they had an opening like looking for a couple more kids or something. So I just went to a rehearsal and they liked me and started <laughs> singing with them. And what's really fucking crazy is now I have re-met two of the kids, Ruby and Cosmo, who were in that choir who I didn't know at all when I was little. Somehow I was at my friend Claudia's house and they were over because they're family friends of um, her boyfriend's family. And they were over and we were all swimming and somehow Dead Man's Bones came up and that choir came up and I and I realized that we were in the same choir at the same time and I like can recognize them. I saw photos of them as kids. And Amazing. Anyways, weird LA shit. That you happened. Still, did you ever meet Ryan since then? Or I mean, did you ever like, but you were in the I choir. I saw but you- him... I don't think since then, which is so funny because he I just remember him being the sweetest, kindest person. And Zach, the other guy in the choir, I have seen since then. He was also wonderful. They're just so, so cool. Um, But I didn't really understand who Ryan Gosling was. 
And then I think like probably a year after not being in it, I watched The Notebook for the first time and I was like, that's the guy. I'm in love. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, you're lying. I couldn't believe it. So yeah. What's amazing is that you've had this whole career before you were like 18, right? I you're know. All these bands and the choir. It's but really it, weird. It's really <laughs> weird. And early on with The Regrets, I think a lot of the shows were like house parties. DIY tours. Yeah. DIY tours. So talk about that, the early days. I don't know if you ever yeah. reminisce about those days, like yeah. touring in a van or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. I mean, it was just us and my dad's minivan. And we played a lot of shows with a lot of bands who were on like Burger Records and Lollipop and that's just the music that I was so into. So I, my big goal, which now I think is so funny. It was like my, my huge goal was to get signed to burger. Like I wanted to be part of that scene, that LA scene so bad. Cause everyone in my high school was super into it and would go to these shows. And I just wanted to be cool and be like all these like older dudes. And, <laughs> and then I, we got offered immediately a deal with Warner and I obviously was like, well, this is sick, but, kind of wanted to be on burger which is so funny because it's like oh my god like and then i got made fun of for like being on warner and being like a sellout like whatever the fuck and it's like the high school jealousy and mentality especially going to an art school of of actually like professionally doing what i was doing like i was really doing it i was leaving and going on tour and now i can look at it as an adult and be like oh kids were being mean because they were jealous but at the time i was like Oh my god! Like I'm not cool enough. I need to make punk me. Like I don't know. Well, so even even the Warner dude. How did that happen? Because obviously you're yeah. playing you're playing like parties and DIY tours. Yeah. But how did you? So I know you had management at that point, but how did you? Come it to happened get a deal? so weird and so quickly, so weirdly, so fast. Um. So I, Marley and I, my two piece band, we put out an EP of we had so many of these demos that we made, and we put out an EP, and. I kind of um, honestly sort of manipulated the situation, not going to lie, because there was a song called The Living Human Girl that I wrote. This is actually a very funny story. And she didn't want to admit it, but she would avoid playing it at shows. She didn't like it. And I think it's because I was talking about like stretch marks on my ass and having little boobs and like all these things that were like very intense. But for me, I thought it was awesome to be talking about. And I think it made her uncomfortable, which is really fair. But she never really we didn't talk about yeah. it. So at shows and shit, she would just like play that go on to play the next song. And we would like like beef over this song on stage. Kind. I feel like there were definitely times where she would like stop. And I was like, oh, wrong song. And I would start, like, whatever, little petty 12-year-old, 13-year-old me. Um, both of us were kids, by the way. So, like, no one was in the right or wrong here. But, so there was this song. So we couldn't decide on what four songs we were going to put on this EP because it was, like, the only music that we were putting out because um, we wanted to have, like, a new sound that was more, like, surf rock, whatever. By the way, I'm assuming your dad was helping to guide you because yeah. I didn't know how to put out an EP at 12 yeah. years old, right? Yeah, like, he know. totally was. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, how about this? This is my master plan, which, thank God, it's kind of fucked up, but thank God I did this. I was like, I have an idea. We can't, we can't agree. You get to pick two. I get to pick two because I knew she wouldn't admit that she didn't want a living human girl to go on it. So I picked that and some other song and she picked her too. And I was like, okay, these are the songs. And she was like, 
okay. <laughs> so we put out this EP. Thank God we did, though. Because of that song, there was this story that was written about us, and I think it was called Grimy Goods, which was like some L.A. blog. And they wrote about a show they saw. Brett, who used to be our day-to-day manager, saw it and listened to A Living Human Girl. And because of that song, brought us to our old manager, Kimberly, and was like, this band's sick. We should work with them. And literally because of that song, we started working with Kimberly. And then immediately she brought us to Mike Elizondo, who signed us to Warner within like, I want to say the same two weeks I met her. Amazing. Which is insane. But I'm like, wow, my my little fucked up 13-year-old manipulative (laughs) asshole self. It worked. She wasn't that manipulative, honestly. It was it was it was smart. But no <laughs> showcasing. You didn't have to go and play nope. for the label executives. They just signed you on the strength of that Pretty much song that EP. song and then I went in and I met Mike and I think I sat and played some of my songs on guitar and that was like on a Wednesday and then on a Friday we went to Patty's in um, Burbank and or in Toluca Lake and he offered me a record deal. Amazing. Yes. So Brooke drew yourself. You go yep. on to make two records. Yep. And now this is actually your third record with the band. And I think that I would say decidedly the first two records are a bit more punky. Totally. This record has an incredible. The production of this record is incredible. In fact, that I know that you worked with one of the producers who's done YouTube before. And yeah. You can t- just the, the songs are He's so hooky and, and Thank so you. great. But let's talk about how coming up to this point because between now and then you've also done Coachella, Lollapalooza. Yeah. This year you did Kimmel. Right. Mm-hmm. So talk to me up kind of to this point of this particular record, Further Joy, yeah. because yeah. I know that Joshua Tree was also a big part of the writing process. Yes. And we can't forget the pandemic during this whole thing. too. Yeah. So this album, I mean, it was it was really based in our ability to make it the way we made it was really based in the pandemic because there was so much time for me to get bored and start writing with other writers because I never wanted to do that. I never wanted to have sessions or write with other people. I was so weird. And pre- again, that high school self of being like, I don't want to sell out and <laughs> be like every other artist on a major. And it's like, shut up <laughs> So, <laughs> to my to my older self. I realized that I love working with other people and I love collaborating and also the best stuff comes from like letting go of whatever rules you have. So that was a rule I had and I was like, fuck it, let's break it. And if I don't like it, I never have to do it again. So I got so bored with my own ideas and writing alone on my couch with my acoustic guitar during the pandemic that I started doing Zoom writing sessions. And it was fucking awesome because I just was like, oh my God, I don't have to be the only, like, I don't have to be, taking all this weight upon myself because I would write also the rest of my band they're all incredible songwriters it's just a different dynamic the way that we write together so um you end up working with Michelle Buzz yes who I love so much um and yeah so that really changed my view on it and then it also having so much time where we weren't in rooms together as a band and we weren't touring there was just so much time to like think that we had a finished product and then to push it and keep going and keep going. And we were writing up until, I mean, Nowhere, one of the songs on the album, which is one of my favorites, was written when the album, we already thought we had the album. Um, and yeah, so I think that we just had so much room to play and explore. And we had, we worked with Tim Pagnotta and Jack Nicklee, who are both just producers who know they just are they're just so fucking good at what they do and they're Mm. so good 
at like finding that balance between becoming a friend and really having there be this sense of family in the studio while also making sure like you're getting shit done when you don't even realize you're getting shit done so like with jackknife we would just sit there and be playing all day it felt like like playing literally like playing around and then the next day you'd come in he'd be like look what i worked on with what we had and it'd be like what the fuck like we did that and he's like yeah we're like okay <laughs> i guess we should also mention along the way you this is the second lineup of the band right so yes how did this come into yes. existence too so so yeah so when we formed um as the original regrets with the four of us um after Max and Sage left, like I talked about earlier, first it was Max and Drew we found through Mike. We actually technically found Brooke and Drew through kind of just mutual friends of Mike. And, I mean, the second that we met Drew, it was just, like, game over. Like, this kid is, like, this just is a little angel. Like, as a human, he's my best friend. Like, I love that man so much. Um but also as a drummer, it's just like one of those moments that you don't think exists and it just really feels like magic in a room. Mm -hmm. And it felt the same way with Brooke where the one we tried, cause you have to have like, like a chemistry read, 100%. you know? Um, and it was just like, Oh shit, this is so cool because it's so terrible. That's the scariest shit ever is like going into that and not knowing what that's going to look like. Um, yeah it was it's it's been amazing well the chemistry is amazing in the band there's a funny story you kind of mentioned to me because yes. when this record first started yeah. <laughs> there was something to do with mushrooms and yes. writing this record yes so, so talk to me about <laughs> how you wrote this record and by the way the name of the record you know further joy it really is about achieving the unachievable mm -hmm. you know chasing joy and and you know the the, the concept of perfection right yes, so totally. talk to me about that along mm -hmm. with the mushroom story yes okay so like I said, a lot of the beginning of the writing process with the album was me in my house writing with other songwriters. And I really wanted to make sure that this wasn't a Lydia record. I wanted it to be a regrets album. I wanted all of us to feel involved and connected with whatever we were writing. Um, so, and, and the thing is, is even songs that I was writing first with other people, they come in and add their own flavor and whatnot later on. But I wanted us really bad to go on a trip and our whole team thought it was a good idea. Let's go rent a house in Joshua Tree where there's nothing that we like. Let's get somewhere where we can do nothing else besides write and reconnect as a group because we also hadn't spent time together in so long. So and you have a history, by the way, with Joshua Tree. too. Yes. Right? Yes. My dad owns a um, or used to own a kind of trailer park hotel there so I grew up going there and doing open mic there and Joshua Tree is just a very special place to me um and so I was like we're going to Joshua Tree I'm renting us a house let's go for 10 days which now I'm like holy shit that that's a long time <laughs> so we went for 10 days and mainly in my head I was like let's try to write but also like that might not work if we put pressure on that so let's more just try and listen through all the demos that I've written, talk about what this album means to us. Let's talk visuals. Let's brainstorm. And we did all of that. But also we wrote 10 songs in 10 days. We kept writing and writing and writing. And one of the things we said we would do is 
finally, I've ne- I had never really tripped on mushrooms and all of them had, and they were into microdosing. I know that, um, Brooke and Drew were, I had taken mushrooms once in high school at this show and I like drank someone's orange juice with mushrooms in it, but like very much just felt like silly, goofy high. Yeah. But I was like, I want to actually like do it. I've never done psychedelics in that way of like, I'm seeing shit. And I was like, this sounds like a great environment. Maybe we'll write cool music. Maybe we won't. And so, and we had like a, a place to get them um, that we knew they'd be super safe. And we brought like a scale and we like chopped it all up and did the whole measuring thing to make sure we were all taking the exact same amount or knew how much we were taking. It's like a mushroom dealer in Joshua Tree that you knew. No, no, it was actually just a friend of, okay. I think, of Drew's who was growing them. <laughs> but um, we won't incriminate. We him. won't no. incriminate him. Um, but we kept. I think all of us were getting kind of nervous, and we kept being like, "Oh, we don't want to do it this day. Like, we'll do it later. We'll do it later." Finally, there was a day we woke up, and I think the day before the last day, and we were like, "I think this is the day. I think today is Shroom Day." And so we. We, you know, do the whole thing, take the shrooms, we go on a walk, and I'm just, like, doing the classic, the classic story of, like, I don't feel anything, like, should I take more, like, I don't, I don't really feel anything, they're like, no, 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 just wait. I start seeing Janessa getting a little, like, a little weirded out, and is like, I'm gonna go back to the house, like, I'm gonna go back, and I was like, okay, okay, cool. They go back, I'm still like, dude, like, they're feeling something, and I'm not, like, what's going on? Brooke, Drew, and I are like, okay, we'll also go back. Let's all go back to the house. And then right when we're, like, walking through the driveway, I look up, and I just start hysterically laughing and crying. And I'm like, whoa, like, okay, okay, it's happening, okay. And then I (laughs) – so then I go, and I sit outside on this deck, and I'm, like, looking at the plants, and they're doing the breathing thing, and I'm like, holy fuck, this is – this. no one was, like, gaslighting me and lying and being like, (laughs) you're going to feel something, and you won't – Um. I was like, this is crazy. Started to get a little panicky, and I was like, it's okay. Like, I'm okay. I'm just going to go inside and chill in my room because Brooke Brooke also was like, oh, okay. So Drew and Janessa were like, we need to go, like, climb. Like, we need to be outside. And I was like, that sounds like a lot. I'm not going to do that. And Brooke is, like, a total flower child and is like, outside like singing and fucking dancing doing and i was like that's too much for me like okay i can't like okay brooke go off but like no so i was like i'm just gonna go lay in my bed and maybe write or something and so i go in my room and my room was the one that was closest to the kitchen in the living room and the door's open so it's just this little bed and it's this weird fucking house like weird tj maxx art and like everything's beige and doesn't make any sense and there's these colorful experience of mushrooms oh yeah and so they put on these crazy colored lights outside of my room and then they start blasting enya like it sounded like the loudest music i'd ever heard but i just couldn't do anything like i was like okay this is great i guess so it's like come set over it's like this crazy music and i think i laid there for like three or four hours Wow. just laying there staring outside of the room like all these colors were coming up on the walls and I was crying and I wrote in my notebook (laughs) so I'm like literally like this vegetable and I like grab my notebook and I write a little bit in it and there's like shit dancing on my on the paintings in the room and like 
and I'm just alone here. And I write the funniest page. I, the, the best thing I wrote was, I was like, love is everything. <laughs> and then I was like, this song has been playing forever. And Janessa ended up making me as like a birthday present, this shirt that has like the date on it and has Enya, like a photo of Enya. And on the back, it says the song has been playing forever. <laughs> Just so awesome. But en- anyways, what ended up happening is I had a crazy like, that changed my life like truly so cool i will do that maybe like once a year because it was so heavy for me like i think that that was super therapeutic and i think it's beautiful what it can do but like so intense and um and yeah they came back in the house or i started getting really worried at the end of it and i went into brooke's room because she was in there and i was like are they back yet like where are they and i was like should we call them like oh no and right when I started getting worried because they weren't back they like walked in the doors and it was like you guys and we all started crying and like having this crazy moment and then we went in the hot tub and ate ice cream and I think we watched Mary Poppins which did not like stand the test of time no. for me especially on mushrooms weird right? ass movie yeah, yeah especially movie. coming down from shrooms <laughs> yeah. but you did have a dance party along oh the way. yeah we did have we had multiple dance that parties was not that, on the mushrooms, that right? was actually not on the mushrooms yeah. which is so funny that was sober i'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> that's funny well along yep. the way you wrote this incredible record mm-hmm. so 10 songs in 10 days and i'm assuming the mushrooms played into some of the lyrical content at some point right maybe i think a little bit because the next day, I feel like we kind of finished up some songs, so it must have in some way. Well, talk to me about the idea of Further Joy and the concept behind it. Yeah. Again, it is about chasing happiness and the constant need. And yeah. I think social media even plays a part of what that is, too. 100%. For Further Joy to me, well, first off, it came from my friend Mikey and I were writing, and he was reading this book called Further Joy, which now I've read and I love. Um, but there was something that just stuck with me about that phrase and how much I felt like that just sort of summarized this feeling I'd been having that I couldn't put a, put words to, um, which was just this idea of this like constant joy that didn't exist here, but existed over there. And how do I chase it? How do I get to it? How do I find the perfect version of it? And it's just a whole lot of bullshit because that doesn't exist and it never will. And like the only thing you have is now, which we... I know everyone knows this, but like being in the present, it's so hard, but it that is what joy is. Like mm. that is what true joy is. And not even just true joy, like just living is being in the present and letting those feelings exist while still coming back to yourself and to being grateful to be alive. And I think that for so long I couldn't find that and I was just so anxious and so depressed because I wasn't doing good enough at being happy. Like, what the fuck? What is that? Like, why do we do that to ourselves? It's so silly in retrospect. It is true. We're constantly chasing happiness. And I think social media, as we mentioned, doesn't help. No. When you see everyone's perfect life. Comparing to everyone. And it's just a, I mean, what does it do? And I always call social media like people's like greatest hits because no one's posting their dark moments. Exactly. I try to. I try to mix it up because I'm like, but it's it's rare that you see that. And even for me, like my version of that is not the like raw version, you know, it's calculated and it's... (laughs) Well, it's interesting because there are so many hooks on this record and it is primarily a a really happy record. But yet, lyrically, it goes into some dark places. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about that, because I know at some point you don't really mind taking on 
characters to write and other yeah. people's perspectives right so yeah some of the best songs on the record which seem super happy in the mm-hmm. end they're about eating disorders they're mm-hmm. about just finding yourself vulnerability sexuality and, and ultimately like y- you know a lot of the songs sound so happy that you would never know that lyrically yeah. you're coming from a dark place yeah and i feel like that was something we wanted to achieve and was kind of happening naturally because it just represented what i was going through was this like I need to show up. I need to um, smile and I need to be a good partner. I need to be a good friend. I need to be a good kid to my parent. Like all these things I need to prove to the people around me that I'm working hard enough. And like on the inside, I just was not okay. Mm. Not okay. And I think that sonically we wanted to emulate that. And I think we did a really good job of that. And then also just the feeling of I love dancing through pain and like, I wanted our shows to be a space where people could belt lyrics that they connected with and could cry to, could scream to, can laugh to, while also dancing with people around them and kind of taking, there's something so beautiful. I think the most beautiful thing is being at a show and being in a community of people where you can celebrate these these traumatic things that you're dealing with, you know, because that's all we have is that sort of connection with each other yeah well songs like barely on my mind anxieties even you're so fucking pretty yeah they do not leave your head once they get into your head oh thank you but yeah amazing songs talk to me a little bit about the lyrics on you're so fucking pretty because it's a great song but again yeah this was about being really vulnerable yeah so this is one that we actually wrote in joshua tree um and it's funny because when we wrote it the demo was very much like a dance song and then tim who produced it tim and brian they were like this song's like, let's like lean into how um, melancholy and, and sad this is. And we were like, you're so right. Let's do it. Um, but yeah, it was the first time I ever really talked about my sexuality. And also the first time that Janessa Brooke and I ever really talked that open, which is so crazy now because since then, like we've somehow just gotten so much closer. It's hard to remember a time that that wasn't so talked about, but I think for me, I've been in so many relationships with men and boys, like back to back. I've been very much hopped through relationships um, with guys that I didn't know how to. I, I, I felt like imposter syndrome almost in the feelings that I had had towards women and just people in general. Um, and. It took me a really long time to recognize that. And so when we were in Joshua Tree, we just started talking about kind of crushes and unrequited crushes. And I was going back and looking back at high school. um, And I have this friend who I'm still really good friends with now who I one night like fucking blackout drunk was like, I'm in love with you. And I'm like, that was so horrible that I had to be blackout drunk to like to say it, yeah. to say it. and, and I didn't vulnerable. and I didn't know like I didn't know that I was feeling that and then I d- said that and I was I woke up the next day and be like oh my god like I I was I'm so sorry I was like that wasn't true that wasn't true like to to my friends who I told about it and I was like that I mean it wasn't even true like I was lying and then a few months later I was like that was very true like I definitely like had a lot of like Maybe I wasn't in love, but there was so much like love and feelings that were there. And um, and I just never knew how to express, express it. it. And so 
yeah and I think so many people go through that like so many people and it wasn't a lack of support from family or my friends or anything it's just internal guilt and shame from other trauma or other situations that you know can fester in that way and that's it's hard to talk about and then you talk about it and you're like oh great done cool like it's cathartic it's therapeutic to get it yeah. out there for sure yeah what's well, a great track and and there Thank are some you. incredibly fun moments on the record like monday and and mm -hmm. we were just talking about the dance party it's funny that you're having this dance party in your house in palm springs and there was like yeah. a noise complaint yes because like who's around the houses in joshua tree i don't it's know the desert it's like i don't know right? but there was there, there was, was a noise complaint yes yeah. which is so funny because we were like what the fuck we just want to bump our katy perry <laughs> But there was a noise complaint. <laughs> Some, and you have this incredible uh, friend group, by the way. We, we didn't really mention it, but it's like Olivia Rodrigo. You were just at Billie Eilish's 21st birthday. So yes. Olivia's in the video. Yeah, she is. And you just is. called her and you were like, hey, come on in the video, be the DJ. Yeah, yeah. She's she's amazing. I'm like, I'm so lucky to have friends who I'm, I'm just so inspired by them, honestly. And like, they're just fucking cool ass people, just like all my other friends, you know. Where did you meet Billie, by the way? I actually met Billy in high school, like six, seven years ago or something. She, we had a mutual friend who now we're both not friends with, but we had a mutual friend and she came to one of my shows, like early regret shows when it was Max Sage, like all of us. And um, she'd only put out Ocean Eyes, I think. And I just thought she was so cool. We lived close to each other and, um, it was literally like months later she just fucking blew wow. up and yeah. it was crazy and then we rekindled our friendship later because i became close with phineas and claudia and who's her brother and um yeah and so we just had so many like funny things to talk about from high school and stuff and um she's just she's incredible she's awesome. amazing to see how you're all doing well right it's like yeah. when you're this friend group from being teenagers which is it's wild which is pretty it's wild crazy and this past year by the way we can't not talk about the fact that you did things like coachella Lollapalooza 2022 was a, a huge year for you i can't believe that was this last year it yeah. feels like forever ago <laughs> like it feels because we haven't toured in a while i'm like was that did we do that like that was us yeah it was <laughs> and let's not forget my cam at the forum yes huge which was also really recent, but that felt like a fever dream of a situation because yeah. that was like being backstage at the forum, I think, was the trippiest part. That was crazy. So when you think about the past year and what a huge year it was for you, and you talk about, you know, you collaborated with Gerard Way and things like that. I mean, were those the highlights for you? Was it Coachella? Because you're always that's always like the dream gig when you're yeah. you know, young. You're like, I got to play Coachella. Yeah. Coachella and Lala are two of my favorite. They're probably my two favorite festivals. Um, and we played them both before. So I think going back to Coachella and being able to like do it now and do it with this record was really incredible. That was definitely a highlight. Weekend two especially was such a highlight. Um, I mean, I think there's like the way that the way that it felt to put out this album and the response to this album was my highlight because I it was just so freeing to do something that felt really risky for us. It felt really scary to put out a pop album essentially. And, um, it wasn't scary at all. And now it just feels so freeing to be writing music because we can do whatever we want, 
you know it's so great to see the growth of the band because decidedly you know the the first few records were definitely a bit more punk totally and just to hear how the band has grown and yeah. the songwriting and the production yeah it's all so great so Thank so definitely you. pick the new record actually the record actually just came out with three new tracks in november yes yes so we should talk about that for a moment because yes. the record came out in april but mm -hmm. these three new tracks came out in november yeah so. yeah i love i that was one of the biggest things for me that i told our management when we were choosing songs i was like yes i will narrow down but these songs have to come out because they're some of my favorites and it just made more sense not living in that like body um and so yeah answer is one that mikey who's my friend who had the book for their joy him and i wrote over zoom and that's like one of my favorite songs i've ever written there's something about the lyric that's probably my favorite lyrics on the whole album which is crazy um dummy which is one that's just so fucking fun and i want to play it live like i can't wait and then shapeshifter is one that was also about like body dysmorphia and all that but like in the most chaotic you know sonic <laughs> fun way, way fun <laughs> way again i want to play all of them live so bad so we'll have to really choose but yeah well, you're, you're getting ready to embark on this 29 day tour with young blood who's yes. a friend of the show and yes we've done some work together in the past i love dom so you excited so about excited. that i'm so excited we got to actually meet him briefly after his when he did those three la when he did like the sunset strip yeah thing he did like 10 shows and it hours was insane <laughs> so we went to the last one um i think at the roxy and then went to the after party and got to meet him and just like from talking to him for five minutes, I was like, okay, we made the right choice doing this tour. Like, this guy is so warm, and I feel like I'm a, feel like I'm a good judge of character. Yeah. Knock on wood. But He's got um, a lot of energy. Yeah, <laughs> but it feels genuine, and right. I think a lot of times you meet someone who's, like, super intense and high energy, and it can feel like a bit of a character, and he just actually seems like he really is that that uh, he, way and he lives it and he breathes it and yeah and he's he's amazing i'm so excited yeah it's awesome so the tour actually kicks off in seattle and goes all the way up to i think august 4th yep. in st charles any uh, highlights that you're really looking forward to because i know it takes you through like canada vegas texas even new york so i'm really excited for new york and for i think we're doing the la show and that's just gonna be awesome because whenever we get to play la it's so fun um but i think i'm really excited about playing in cities that we maybe haven't had the best experience in to like mm. make new fans there and meet new people and see what it's like you know so it's great to see when you're playing you're playing bigger and bigger venues and you yeah. know there's traction mm -hmm. with the record so i i think this is gonna be a great tour for you i'm actually really excited yeah. for you to do this so i'm stoked i'm so excited you got to come to one of the shows 100 percent. further joy is an amazing record Thank so you. i appreciate you coming on one last question i want to ask you we ask a lot of people yes five records that every music fan should own according to lydia knight okay yes so i have to say every person should own and not favorite favorite because if i say these are my five favorite albums that I'm going to overthink it for weeks. Five albums, though, that come to mind that I think everyone should have and listen to. London Calling, Clash, awesome. Lemonade by Beyonce, um, Number One Record, Big Star, Absolutely by Dijon, which was my favorite album of this past year. Um, and... Hmm... Blue, Joni Mitchell. Amazing. 
I thought you were going to throw the 1975 in there. Somewhere. I know. I know I would have. <laughs> but again, I'm not saying favorites. I'm saying like, I think everyone, these are just albums that are essential to me right now. Definitely. Where is the LA show, by the way? I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll look it up. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Wait, I think it's. I think it's the Palladium. Okay. But I might be wrong. Well, I do uh, live next door to the Palladium. So, so I we'll, hope. Okay. I will definitely be going to Further Joy, <laughs> the new edition out now. Yeah. Lydia, it's so great to see you. Good to see you too. Happy New Year. I, Thank I was told you, that you, you can't say Happy New Year after like January 7th. Why Why not? I don't know. Larry David said anything after January 7th. Well, it's on the 7th. Happy well, New Year. I, yeah, we're almost there. <laughs> <laughs> Happy fucking New Year. Happy fucking New Year. Thanks for coming on. I'm excited to work with you. I know. Me too. I'm excited I'm to get into everything. And ch- the record is one of my favorite records this year. Thank you, so Scott. congrats That's on so an incredible nice. piece of work. Thank you. This was awesome. All right. See Thank you. Soon. Yay. This is Lips LA. Well, that was great. Lydia Knight, other regrets. Their tour kicks off April 28th, supporting Young Blood for 29 dates. Kicks off at the Paramount Theater in Seattle, and it goes until August 4th in St. Charles. She's a great singer. The record's great. Pick up further joy. It's highly, highly recommended. If you like the show, please make sure to tell a few friends about the show. Even rate it five stars. That would be great. Theme music by Robbie Hoffman. We have a lot of exciting stuff coming up for you this year. I appreciate, as always, you tuning in. I hope you had a great New Year's, a great holiday, and cheers to 2023. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.